Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 94 of the Sleep Whisperer podcast. Dr. Tripti Gokani MD is an award-winning both certified neurologist. She's dedicated her life to developing a unique blend of modern medicine and ancient philosophy. Just the very intersection that the Sleep Whisperer podcast is all about. By melding these approaches, she's become a highly sought-after speaker and health coach sharing holistic wellness strategy with larger-than-life media personalities like Dr. Oz, the global pharmaceutical giants like Pfizer, and individuals with a wide range of symptoms from debilitating migraines to chronic fatigue. She is best known in Chicago's North Shore for her revolutionary integrative approach to treating headache pain. The Zira Mind and Body Clinic's patients swear by her unique methodology focused on healing the head by identifying the disconnect between the mind and the body. When not in the clinic, Dr. Gokani dedicates her insights to speaking and media engagements, aiming to help Americans understand the purpose of their pain and how to heal themselves through a deeper appreciation of the mind-body-spirit connection. In this episode, I'm speaking with Dr. Gokani about how she found herself in the intersection between neurology and Ayurveda, what is the risk-benefit of antidepressants and what is the impact on the body, who better than a neurologist to speak into this concerning area. She also speaks into how to assess insomnia from an Eastern Ayurvedic perspective and breaks down why neurology must integrate a three-brain approach for true patient-centric care. Gluten is a contradictory conversation for sure. Do you need to eliminate it forever? If you are someone who finds yourself addicted to gluten and getting upset or angry, you may want to take a listen. And just to let you know that our guided sleep meditation will now be available twice every month. So stay tuned for the next one on this coming Friday on time travel to a magical land. Hey everyone, I'm Deepa, Light Functional Medicine Practitioner, Author and Yogini and you're listening to the Sleep Whisperer Podcast, the only sleep podcast with conversations and meditations. I'm on a mission to share profoundly insightful sleep conversations with global visionaries that merge together functional medicine and ancient wisdom. Breathe in bliss through weekly guided meditations and let yourself enter the land of dreams. Together, let's unravel the pieces, get to the roots and understand the right tools to transform your sleep completely. Through this podcast, I want you to dream the best version of yourself. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey. 
Dr. Gokani, pleasure speaking with you. Been excited for the last several days waiting for this conversation. A huge shout out to our common friend and my mentor, Dr. Diana Minik, for even introducing us, which was so beautiful. And I must add that you were the very first person who heard about my book, which is also exciting that that's the day I met you. Uh, and I'm especially fascinated about this conversation because, as you know, the show itself is about the intersection between East and West. And while we have guests from the West, the functional medicine space, and then the Eastern perspective, it's rare to get someone who's focused at that intersection. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to this and such a I mean, I don't think we can speak enough about your credibility on this subject. There's just so much that I probably haven't mentioned in our intro. But let's start out because neurology and Ayurveda is quite the intersection. And what brought a neurologist to Ayurveda? Well, first, I want to say thank you for having me, Deepa. What a pleasure. What a pleasure to spend this time with you and your, your, your members. So, you know, what brought me to this intersection is, I think for many of us, it's a personal journey. And it's, it's as we, you know, evolve in our own, you know, progress with ourselves, we start to have situations which occur that guide us and guide us in a way that we can't even expect until it happens. And so for me, I had grown up, uh, I was actually born in Kampala, Uganda, and then we were kicked out of the country at a very young age. I was about six months old, grew up in Chicago, and we didn't have roots in Chicago, you know, being of Indian origin, growing, um, born in Africa, very challenging growing up in Chicago because I didn't really know where I fit in. And I followed kind of the model of what was around me. And a lot of my, my dad was a physician and a lot of my dad's friends were doctors. And so I naturally followed that you know path and went to medical school. And in my first year of medical school, uh, about three months in, I started struggling with sleep issues. And it was occasional, you know, a couple nights a week, I had some problems falling asleep. And then it became every night and then slowly but surely I couldn't sleep at all. And then that went on for another three months. Now imagine I'm in a first year of medical school where it's very vigorous, very intense. Uh, it, it's not very forgiving if you're not feeling well, you know? And so I went to all sorts of providers. I went to Western medical doctors, went to therapists and tried to get an answer. Why am I not sleeping? How am I can't sleep? And it was fascinating because I was prescribed very conventional Western medications, you know, that would put me into a sleep state, but I really didn't feel rested the next day. It actually gave me this hangover feeling. So as I did that, and I finally met with a psychiatrist, I was so desperate. My dad said, see, my good friend, he's a psychiatrist. He'll get to that root cause. He'll help you figure out why. And I said, okay, let's do this. Sat down with a psychiatrist and within 10 minutes, and about eight questions he asked me. And these eight questions are actually the questions that are asked for depression. And it's a very specific mnemonic, Siggy Caps. And he asked me these questions. Do you feel sad? Do you have insomnia? Do you feel any guilt? Do you have low energy, low concentration, anhedonia, psychomotor retardation, suicidality? Those are the, the, the questions. And I said yes to a high number of them because I wasn't sleeping well. So not sleeping well, I didn't have energy, didn't have concentration. And he said, you have major depressive disorder here's Prozac. And he wrote me the prescription of Prozac. I was about 23 years old. And I said, what Prozac and major depression, depressive disorder. 
I, I didn't, I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it. I said, how could I have that? I got back in my car with a prescription and a diagnosis. And it was honestly, maybe a 15 minute visit. And that's just, you know, how it's practiced. We know how conventional medicine is practiced, right? And I didn't find that that was my truth. So I ripped up the prescription and the very next day went to the bookstore. And it was in that phase of my journey, I discovered Ayurveda. So I decided not to leave medical school because Ayurveda actually at that, the pace that I was learning it from the books helped me get back into my sleep again. And I stayed with it and I decided to go into neurology and then later study Ayurveda as a secondary practice. So that's the, how it all came together. And it actually started because of my own journey within myself. Wow. And what was really for me, a great takeaway is when there's an, a doctor, a neurologist who is telling the world that I had the guts to realize that antidepressants are not the root and tear up the, because that's not common. Mm -hmm. And I did a whole episode on the dangers of sleeping medication themselves. Uh, and of course, antidepressants are another subject altogether. But what actually made you have that intuition? I'd love to know. And what do you feel also the challenges regarding these conventional medication? Because people are using them quite commonly, both sleeping pills and antidepressants, even long-term usage. So I'd love to get that little peek into that before we jump into Ayurveda itself. Yes. And it's such an, you know, interesting question I've asked myself is where did that intuition come from? And how did I have that ability to tap into that? At that moment in time, I was very desperate. I was looking for an answer and to find that answer to be, it's not the prescription, it's something else. And I didn't know what the something else was. So it's not as though I had another answer. I just knew that wasn't the answer. And I think part of following intuition and I will just touch on one Ayurvedic terminology because it is important, I think, for our listeners, is the concept of pragyaparad, mistake of the intellect. And I think what happens sometimes in our lives is that, not sometimes, I think a lot of times, <laughs> is that there is an inner voice, there is an inner knowing. And I call that the second brain. When I, I think about my model, I use these three brain approach, which we'll get into later. But it's that second brain, it's that, that in, enteric nervous system, the intuition comes from the gut and it tells us something. And we have a, a choice to listen to it oftentimes. It's just, do we listen? Do we honor it? Do we follow it? Sometimes we hear it and we don't follow it. Why I did it, I'm not sure at that early age. I, I actually am not sure because I was in conventional training. Now I'll, mind, I'll tell you, I was in my first year of training. I wasn't in my third or fourth year of training. I didn't grow up with pharmaceuticals. Even though my dad was a doctor and a lot of our family friends were physicians, I wasn't someone that took medications. So. I will say I came in somewhat open-minded, right? I came in open-minded to, um, hmm, does that make sense for me? I don't want to use the word brainwashed, but I didn't, I don't think I had a belief system that was entrenched in me that I had to take a pill. So that helped. That helped first and foremost. I didn't have a program from early childhood telling me that prescriptions were the way to go. My parents didn't model that. So that was wonderful because I had that ability to make a decision without having that program in me. So I was able to follow my intuition. So I'll, I'll start with that. And then let's go talk about the medications. And I know you and I are not here to give any medical advice. Anything that's being said here is really not to be taken by any of the listeners as a you know, reason to stop a medication or to change their prescriptive nature. Always talk to your own physician. What I'll say is my own personal opinion is that with pharmaceuticals, they serve a, an amazing purpose. And I, I do 
at this moment do prescribe medications. And I prescribe them incredibly gently and wisely. When someone is in acute crisis and someone is really feeling that they have done as much as they can with the non-Western tools, and they're struggling to keep up, keep up with their home, keep up with their career, keep up with their marriage or their lives, then I feel it's okay. And I feel it's, it's really my job to educate them the risk benefit of the medication and choose within the medications the safest one to take. So starting with number one, is it needed? And is it something that will help them kind of bridge them? And so I look at medications as a bridge to get someone somewhere else. But I'm also kind of tough. If someone has been on the medication for about six months and I've given them an opportunity to work on things at home, at work, at, you know, given them tools on how to do that. And they haven't quite done that, even though the medication is getting them to feel better. Anxiety is better. Sleep is better. Moods are better. Headaches are better. And they're not doing the work, not changing their diet, not doing all the things that we recommend in Ayurveda. Then I get tough. I'm not going to keep on prescribing the medication for you. This is not what I do. I don't just keep you on this. You are here to learn now. What is your lesson behind the pain? What's your lesson behind insomnia? What's the lesson? What have you not heard about this? Why is your, your brain and your body giving you this signal of disturbance? Because I do believe pain is a message. Insomnia is a message. It's telling us that we're not in alignment with ourselves. So it's, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat tough. I do prescribe at this point, but I'm also tough with when I say, now it's enough. You've been on this medication for a while. Have you been making the changes? And for some individuals, they make those changes. They need more time. And as long as the medication isn't giving them side effects, I'll give them more time. When it comes to the short-acting medications, I'm a little bit more concerned, especially the benzodiazepines. We know the benzodiazepines can be very addicting, okay, and can actually lead to a lot of challenges down the road. I've actually been doing microbiome testing. Mm. And I, I didn't know this, Deepa. Mm. Some of the benzodiazepines can actually shift your microbiome. And I've seen that and now talked to naturopathic doctors on some test results of my patients who have been off of those benzos now. And I'm asking, why is their microbiome so imbalanced when I've been giving them products to help their microbiome and they've been watching their diet. And now I'm realizing the pharmaceuticals, the long-term use of them have created now, I call it the third brain, the microbiome, a challenge wow. down there. Big, right? So we're, we're addressing an acute problem and we're creating a secondary issue. So that's where I have to literally talk to my patients and say, do you really, we're supposed to be offering risk benefit for every patient, informed consent for every patient. I am not sure every physician is doing that simply because the knowledge isn't there in the medical community. Right. So that's why, you know, individuals like yourself teaching this is so important and everyone needs to be aware that not everything is told to you in the doctor's office and you have to do your own research and be your own advocate. I love your approach, Dr. Gokani, because one, you're so right when you say that informed consent is missing in many spaces. And I really think and love the approach that if someone is really struggling, that, that gentle medication to get them out, but alongside other interventions. And that's so beautiful. I think I first need to go and order your book today so I can read about this. I feel I've been missing some radical information from my life. And let's talk a little bit about uh, what does the Eastern perspective say about insomnia before we get into talking about the three brains, which I really want us to spend some time on. 
Yeah. So gosh, I mean, this is why I, I so aligned with you because how I found Ayurveda was through my insomnia journey and Ayurveda helped me with insomnia. So for everyone listening, my goodness, Ayurveda it just gives you so many tools to how to address this condition, which is so pervasive and affects so many individuals. And more and more now with the pandemic, we're seeing more and more with insomnia. And what Ayurveda does and what Western medicine didn't do to go back to my early struggles. And, and since that time, by the way, I've been free of insomnia. I've been a fantastic sleeper because the model is that effective. It's that effective. What it does and what it did for me at that time is number one, it establishes an understanding of how we are at cause. I, at that time, kept looking at why it was happening to me, what was happening in the world around me that was triggering my insomnia, pointing my fingers at this and that and this and that and trying to change my environment, trying to change everything around me, change the lighting in my room, which I don't think is a, something you shouldn't do, but I focus too much on the external world, focus so much on turning the bed clock away from me, turning off the lights, making sure I did the lavender on my pillow, all these different things, which I do believe are helpful. Yet what I was missing, the big piece that I was missing is my role in the generation of it. And what Ayurveda start, started teaching me at that time, as I read those early books on Ayurveda, is this concept of knowing your own, you know, doshic makeup. What are you, what are the elements that create who you are and how they gotten out of alignment? And how did you let them get out of alignment? <laughs> it's mm. a very ownership based, <laughs> put it right back on you. Yes. And, and how did you get disconnected with yourself? Right. It's so, it's so action oriented. Right. So there was number one, that, which was like, what? I, I have something to do with this. And then the second piece was so beautiful. It was about the circadian rhythm. I mean, right? An incredible conversation to have about aligning yourself with the day and the night, with the moon and the sun, and bring yourself back into harmony with mother nature, which it sounds so simplistic, yet it's so powerful. Everything I was doing was wrong. I was skipping lunch. I was eating dinner late. I wasn't going to bed at the right time. I was actually laying in the bed at three o'clock in the morning versus 10 p.m., Nothing I was doing was right. When I read all of the things I was supposed to be doing to follow, to get to good night's sleep, I said, how was I not knowing any of this? I've seen so many providers. Not a single provider told me to have lunch every day. Not a single provider told me to get down to bed at 10 o'clock every day. Why didn't they know this? Because it's in our ancient wisdom. It's in our ancient textbooks. This isn't something that's in Western medicine. So for me, just some of those would seem so simple maneuvers made a profound difference to a point where I was sleeping again. And I've, like I said, I'm now 50 years old. I've been a fantastic sleeper off of medications since that time. And so it's so powerful. I think those are two big concepts, ownership, knowing who you are, getting to know yourself, getting to know your, your role in the creation of this symptom, whatever it may be, insomnia, headaches, whatever it may be. And then second thing is getting in alignment with circadian getting aligned with the night and the day and the rhythms and starting to create more of an alignment with that. So your own hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, your cortisol patterns can be aligned with the daytime patterns. How can you sleep when your cortisol, your own rhythm is out of alignment? Because when you're not living in authenticity with the nature, your rhythm of cortisol is imbalanced and you're making cortisol, unfortunately, throughout the day at a high level, and you're never going to fall asleep with that cortisol being so high. And then we can get into foods and diet and all that too. But those are probably the two big things that were the ahas for me. And I must ask you, Dr. Gokani, because I've had 
so many there's recent a lot of focus on how people have different circadian rhythms and how some people are meant to be the night owl and different names for these versions but i truly believe that ayurveda is the original circadian medicine uh, which is so encapsulated within everything in ayurveda so what are your thoughts on people having having differing rhythms where some people are meant to go to bed at midnight and that uh, rhythm is different and maybe even uh, their cortisol um, cycle is different what what do you feel about that i actually do not believe that i don't believe that yeah. i believe if you look at traditional chinese medicine you look at other forms of ancient medicine not just ayurveda there is a very specific belief system of sleep patterns and very specific belief system of our energy body being in a certain state at different times of the day, you know, having more of the pitta energy between 10 p.m. Mm. and 2 a.m., having more pitta between mm. 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. during the day. So when you fall into that energetic state, it doesn't matter who you are. It's the universe that gives us that energy. So it doesn't matter who I am at 10 p.m. I go into pitta energy state. So I could use the pitta fiery state to get some work done, to be on my computer, to be really productive. I'm a night owl. I can be really productive and use that energy to do work. Or I could use the energy as mother intended, grand, you know, mother nature intended as the sun is setting. The reason the sun is setting, the reason there's no light is we're supposed to go to sleep. I don't think it's for us to defy that. And to think we can defy that I because, you know, mother nature is giving us guidance. It's for us mm. to follow guidance and be humble and drop our ego and say, this is time to go to bed. And if we can use the pitta energy to clear out our liver cleanse, because that's what fire we know does is metabolic energy, close your eyes, go to bed, let the liver do its detoxing. You get four beautiful hours of cleansing, heavy cleansing between 10 and two. You can stay awake for it and skip it, or you can go to sleep and honor it and feel fantastic the next morning. And I honestly would, would really show medical studies to prove this. There's actually Western data now showing the importance of 10 p.m. bedtime on weight management. A lot of people want to lose some weight. Getting to bed at 10 can help with that, help with your energy and your moods. It can help with your microbiome. There's so much data. I would encourage the listeners, if they believe that, to go research this. There's enough data to show that there is an organizing principle the universe has given us, and it's for us to follow it and not to defy it. I love it. In fact, uh, we did an entire episode on these times of Ayurveda with Rima Shah, and she's so much like you, a dynamic woman. And I just, when I thought about it, the two of you are so similar. And the uh, thing that popped in my head was cosmic diva. So I feel like you're this cosmic diva I when that. I was speaking with you. But I am really going to. Um, rush into our three brains because I want us to spend some time there and there's so much that you're speaking about which I feel we could go on for hours so um, just tell us a little bit about the three brains because the way you described or gave peeks into this at the beginning was totally different from what I actually expected so I'd love, love to dive deep into this. So this evolved, just like my insomnia going into Ayurveda evolved. This evolved with 
living and experiencing. And as I worked with patients over the years, now I, I did finish neurology training. I started working in a migraine clinic, working with patients with chronic pain. And I realized the same thing that I was dealing with when I was in my 20, early 20s, they were trying to chase away the pain, just like I was trying to chase away the insomnia and find the answer out there. Oh, it's the weather, it's this, it's that. When a lot of it was internally what was going on with them and what they needed to do to help overcome their pain. And so as I kind of used the model of Ayurveda, as I trained in Ayurveda and used that for my migraine patients, I realized that this model was far bigger. And in a way, I wanted to utilize some some organization to the principles in a medical clinic, because it was getting tricky, as you can imagine, to practice Western medicine and also discuss this very deep Ayurvedic ancient wisdom. Uh, and so I started to kind of talk about things in a very specific manner. I, I started thinking about and talking about everyone's thinking patterns. How do you think? How do you interpret your life? How do you interpret stress? If we have the same situation and we see the same thing happen or we're in the same kind of dynamic and a stressor occurs, how do you interpret it? How long do you hold on to the stressor? And basically, how much does it affect your physiology? And if you compare it to me, are we at the same place or do we have very different responses? And very often, as you can imagine, we all have very different responses. I was intrigued as I talked to patients how the same patient would experience the same thing, you know, the weather shifting, for example, and yet one patient would have such a reaction to it and the other wouldn't. And I said, there's something with their HPA axis or something about their stress response system. So as I studied that, and this is what I call the first brain, I, I thought about the first brain, the central nervous system, the brain that's in our heads as not just the processing center of, of, of how we have executive functions and how we can move and feel our sensations and, and have action oriented, you know, activities during the day, but how are we thinking? How are we processing? How are we, how are we interpreting stress? And what do we do with that interpretation? So that kind of whole kind of process led me down the path of NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, which is basically understanding our brain programming and really getting a sense of either how is our program helping us with the strategy we have, or how is, that, how is that program working against us? And for so many with symptoms that struggle, they have a program in their brain that is operating against them, meaning they're interpreting things at a level that is not in alignment with their natural Ayurvedic state. It's pushing them into vata, it's pushing them into pitta, it's pushing them into kapha energy. Because I was seeing all these vata unbalanced individuals coming in, pitta unbalanced, I didn't get the why behind it. I'm all about the why behind everything, right? So as I started working that model, I would bring in all these great thinkers like Louise Hay and you know Wayne Dyer, and I'd, I'd have people do these different exercises to work on their thinking brain. And it was helping a lot of people. And then I noticed there was another part that was going on, emotions, suppression of emotions, and suppressions of intuitive thinking. And that's where the second brain plays a role. I found that individuals weren't connecting with their emotional body. A lot of it was because again, of early programming, maybe they lived in a household where emotions weren't allowed to be expressed. Maybe they expressed their emotions and they weren't be, um, appreciated for how they express their emotions. They were told to quiet down, to not express it that way. You're being overly emotional. And so either emotions weren't shown appropriately or they weren't allowed to be expressed and downplayed. And a lot of individuals I've met were holding their emotional body in. And you know, the limbic brain is directly connected to the enteric nervous system, the second brain. The emotional thinking brain is actually connected to your enteric brain. So, you know, you feel the butterflies in your stomach. You feel that feeling. When it comes to stress response, what's interesting is we don't 
only respond from our first brain. We respond, how do you feel? I feel stressed. The feeling part comes in too, which is the second brain. So going into that piece was another piece I started doing with patients. As I worked on the first brain, I started going into emotional processing and intuition, talking about Pragya Para, the mistake of the intellect, why you're not listening to your emotional body, what's blocking you from that. And then the third piece, the third part of the brain is what I consider the microbiome is the third brain, because my goodness, the 100 trillion bacteria down in the gut, they are really action oriented and they will respond to the first brain. If you're stressed, unfortunately, if you're carrying stress for too long, within just short bouts of stress, cortisol release and norepinephrine release, you can shift your microbiome and start producing pathogenic bacteria. In this age, at this time, the most important thing for everyone to do is to monitor gut, gut function because your 70% of your immune system is in your gut. And so processing stress can actually interrupt that, that healthy balance of your gut. And then what's interesting is the microbiome themselves, there's actually more conversation from your gut to your brain than there's from your brain to your gut. So if your microbiome is not really happy, they're not going to allow neurotransmitter production like serotonin. They're not going to allow B vitamin production to happen. They're not, they're the ones that break down your carbohydrates and your proteins. They won't do that job if they're not healthy. So it's this very organized, the way I look at it, first, second, third brain approach I'm using, which looks at how is the health of each of these three brains? Where do we need to focus our attention? For some people, it's a lot of first brain work. For some, it's a lot of third brain work. For some, it's all three. Yet I think it's important to at least address all three and to make sure we're aware that all three play a role in our overall well-being and health. So that's kind of the newer model I brought out. And I think it's it's really important to assess them. So I have a quiz that assesses the three brains and just get a sense of where people are in, out of alignment and then use our model that we have. Use Ayurveda, use NLP, use the tools that we have to bring all of us into alignment. So that's kind of the big picture. And I must share recently, Dr. Gokani, that I had a client who um, she did everything. She truly tried everything with her diet and with changing up her exercise, with fasting as a therapeutic tool. And she just didn't budge in terms of improving her microbiome, her digestion. And it was all linked to the stress piece. So I'm so happy to hear because I truly think that we speak a lot about stress. But when it comes to action and actually utilizing the subtle tools to bring the shift, still there's so many people who don't bring the importance that is required to manage and reduce the stress response. So um, I'd love to jump into now, um, how do you use this three brain approach to actually help someone? So you said, of course, you've got the quiz, but uh, once you do, let's, could we take a gentle dive through all the three areas and what are the kind of tools that you typically use to help someone? Yes. And, and as you can imagine, it's been, you know, this is a 20 year journey of coming up with the model and there's a lot of information in each of those different areas. And the, I think the easiest way to look at it is after assessing, you know, where someone's feeling out of alignment and most people that come to me now, it's coming because of a health, some health challenge. They've seen the Western doctors they've seen, and they just don't know they're stuck. They're overwhelmed, feeling anxious, feeling exhausted, and just don't even know where to go. Right. And so I'm, I'm usually kind of bringing that kind of individual in. I also have some people that are actually stuck in their careers and stuck in their relationships and just don't know why they're not progressing. 
what is what is holding them back? And what's interesting is the model, you know, kind of works for different anyone, really all areas of life. And I find is that the first thing to assess is what area of life is most challenging for you? Like, what's the number one area? And I think that's the most important question to ask. Is it health? That's if you improved your health, would all the other areas of life, when I say areas of life, I'm talking about career, relationships, family, spirituality, personal growth. If your health was better, would all these other areas improve? Or is it your career? If your career was more aligned within all these areas or your relationships or your family. So I find what is the area? And like I said, most people right now are coming to me with health related, but I have some coming with other areas. And then I say, okay, so now that you've chosen your area, let's figure out what is your pattern of operating in that area? This is the first brain approach. What have been the challenges? Give me your stories. Like what are the stories of, let's say your career? Give me every situation you've been in and what has happened? What's been the outcome of that situation? With your health, what's been the outcome of the situation? What have you done? What have you tried and what's been the outcome? And what happens is as they're storytelling, this is called the detailed personal history I collect, I get a sense of what it is that their program is unfortunately allowing them to repeat. It's repetition. It's basically NLP is breaking a pattern, interrupting a pattern, that is generated by the subconscious mind. Obviously, we don't know we have that pattern. If we did, we would stop doing it. And so I'll give you an example of my pattern because just to give it some tangible, when I you know, entered into you know, my first year of medical school, uh, I had a pattern. What was my pattern? So my pattern was I grew up, I mentioned I was born in Kampala, Uganda. I uh, grew up in Chicago, uh, very conflicted. You know, I didn't really know where I belonged because, wow. right, I mean, kicked out of Africa. So didn't really belong back in Africa. My parents are born in East Africa, though I'm Indian in origin. Mm. Uh, my parents' friends were Indian, you know, eat Indian food. I eat Indian food every day, yet I'm growing up with Western people. So I, I, I had a conflict. Uh, to me, I told you my model of success was going to medical school. And what's interesting is I started in the university, in my in the business school. I was not in medical school because I wasn't sure I would be able to make it in medical school. It seemed so difficult. So I started in the business school and I craved science. Like I love science. So I, I knew the model of a lot of my family members going to medical school. I left the business school, ended up doing economics and biology and eventually went into medical school because that was a program. So keep in mind, it was comfort for me to, in a weird way, it was comfort to choose medicine. Mm. Was it the right thing for me? I love science, but I could have been, I don't know, naturopathic doctor. I could have been a chiropractor, could have done a lot of different things. I could have been a, an educator, a teacher. I could have done so many things in science, right? Yet all I knew was, oh, people go to medical school. So again, this is a subconscious program. And what I'm letting you know is that sometimes we make decisions. We don't know why we're making the decisions. It just makes sense to us at the time. So I choose medical school. Here I am in my first year of medical school struggling with insomnia. I was vata imbalanced, very excitable, moving, going, doing too much, very pitta, very intense. Of course, then the insomnia generated with the initial problems falling asleep, which we know is a very vata imbalance first, and then problems staying asleep, which is very pitta. So all these things started happening. And I, I, was, I was struggling with, well, what, I don't understand. When the, therapist, the therapist actually dismissed me because she didn't know what to do with me because she said, you seem so happy. You seem fine. Like uh, you have you're in, uh, this medical school, you have wonderful friends. I had this very nice boyfriend who's now my husband. My family was doing great. I mean, there was really nothing wrong with me. 
And she's like, I, I do. And she remember the, the best question, Deepa, she asked me, do you feel stressed? Mm. Do you feel stressed? Now, when you're disconnected and you're hanging out in the Vata Pitta space and you don't even know that that's an imbalanced state, when someone asks you, do you feel stressed? My answer was no, I'm not stressed. Are you kidding? I was beyond stressed out. And it was funny because she bought into what I said because I said I wasn't stressed. And I came in speaking very intelligently and I said, no, I'm not stressed at all. Yet I was going and moving a mile a minute. I was talking fast, moving fast, not sleeping at all, skipping lunches. Everything I was doing was stress provoking. And yet that conversation of stress, it's fascinating. I didn't, I didn't even know I was, because again, I was running, it was a subconscious program. So first brain is really storytelling, getting a sense of what is it that creates a program that then creates a symptom? And what is the challenge that's been happening over and over? So I'd ask someone, let's go over your bouts of insomnia. Let's go over your bouts of challenges in your career, challenges in your relationships. What has been the story? And what's created that story? What's been that pattern? And, the, really way, pattern. and the way you're describing it, Dr. Gokani, is also, I think people can connect to if they feel a sense of restlessness, unable to sit in a place for too long. You know, there are the people who says, I can't sit doing nothing. I have to keep doing something all the time. And they feel that sitting down and doing breath work or meditation is an unproductive waste of time. So I think these are all also clues that something is off in that center of balance. 100%. I'm so glad you brought that up because you said something so powerful there. This, this, this challenge individuals have with sitting still and then not being productive. Let's talk about that word productive, right? Right. Productive, productive, you know, especially here growing up in America, right? Everyone wow. has this very disturbed view of productivity. Right. Have to be on all the time. Go, go, go all the time. And I ask people, this is one thing that I think is so important. I ask them, what do you do on your off time? And what do you do on your on time? Because your on time, I don't mind if you at work, take it up a notch, move up your cortisol, you're working in efficiently and productively, and maybe drink a little coffee. Maybe you have some things that are due, some projects you need to get taken care of. I can appreciate that because that's kind of our Western and now world culture. What are you doing on your off time? What are you doing to recuperate? What are your practices? Are you meditating? Are you doing yoga? Are you taking walks in nature? Are you just relaxing with your own thoughts and listening to your own thoughts? Are you allowing those, this goes into second brain, intuitive thoughts to flow? You know, we, we, to be productive, and this is coming from someone who has learned this the hard way, okay? You have to do sometimes what you resist the most. You know, you know that saying, right? We often, mm -hmm. <laughs> we need what we resist the most. We, yeah. what we resist the most is what we actually need the most. Absolutely. And so, yeah. You know so, that. And so when and someone says, in, I can't sit still, it's because yes. they need to sit still. And even in a yoga practice, I see so often that people who say, I cannot sit in a pose for long. I need something which is dynamic and power oriented. And usually they need the exact opposite energy opposite. of that. And that's the key. And if, if everyone can just hear that, like if, if you're resisting at this moment, I'm think of what do you resist the most? 
What do you resist the most? That's most likely what you need the most. And I'm not saying to jump into one hour of meditation every day. Of course not. Start slowly. Start with just a few simple practices. Do it consistently. And I promise you magical things happen. When you start to tap into that and move from that first brain, that's a pattern interrupt into second brain, which to me is that intuitive center, opening up the emotional body, getting connected with circadian, connecting with self. What happens is that creative, really authentic, the ananda, that deep sense of bliss, the koshic body opens up and things come to you, things happen. And what's beautiful is you don't have to turn on your cortisol. Things just start to happen for you because the universe is in alignment with you because you're in your authentic self. And if you're craving to make more money, if you're craving to have better relationships or to be healthier, it just starts to happen. You start to become healthier. You start to release the insomnia. You release the pain. You release the challenges with work. Money starts flowing in. Relationships start flowing in. Good friends start flowing in. The family members become easier to deal with. Everything becomes easier. And again, I've seen this firsthand, not with myself, but with all the people I've worked with for 20 years. So I always say, if you're resisting it, pause. You're actually more productive if you go into that space, spend time in that space and allow yourself to experience what that is you're resisting and pause there because that's where beautiful things happen. Beautiful things happen in that space. I love it. I think I really fought surrender for the longest time. And you're so right. The moment that started to trickle in, things just started flowing so easily. And I I mean, I didn't have to, I was almost struck in wonder at things happening around me. Magic happens. You know, the picture, the comfort zone and the magic, magic happens. That's where magic happens. And it happens over and over and over. And this is what I want people to realize is that, you can have a magical life. You can have a beautiful life. You can have things come for you. And the universe is there to guide you on that journey. Just know that because once you, you let go of your resistance, it, this is what happens. And do, how do you actually encourage someone to go with the flow and actually encourage this intuitive brain within themselves? So first piece, and this is why I go in this order. You know, the first piece is to work on the thought pattern. What are the negative thoughts? I call these reality statements, the things that are working against you. And, and those are all programs. You know, I can't do that. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. That's all a program that you've just inherited. That's not your truth. That's a program. So helping people break the program first and then allowing them to connect with their authentic self using all these practices. So using, I do use in the first brain approach, I use some hypnotic techniques, some NLP techniques, some Ayurvedic tools, um, some breath work, which I'm sure you're familiar with a lot of this breath work that's really you know profound in our Ayurvedic training. Um, and then the second brain model, I start using that, you know, the idea of circadian balance and getting them connected with a circadian state. And then again, using some NLP tools to kind of open up um, their emotional body. There's a technique called MER, mental emotional release, which is to release the emotions that have been harboring and stuck within them. And then going into once they've kind of moved past and doing it very gently and slowly, then the third brain, what happens is that now it's interesting to evaluate the microbiome because see, if I evaluate it right in the beginning, Mm. when there's all this thought interrupting and stress and emotional, I'm not going to see a great microbiome report, am I? (laughs) But it makes so much sense. Right. 
Yeah. If I work a little bit and do it after we've worked a little bit and nudge some of these things, then the microbiome report gives me a sense of, okay, what is, do you have C. difficile growing? Do you have things that are there that pathogenic strains? Do you not have some of the keystone bacteria that are making, making short chain fatty acids that protect your brain and help you rest? And maybe we'll add more ghee in and start adding some probiotics that help build that. And, you know, so, so looking at that at the end, looking at food intolerances. And one thing I just want to mention to the listeners is, you know, you mentioned this earlier is this idea of people who've like done the food intolerance testing, done all the dietary work, taken all the foods out of their diet, eating clean five foods every day, very strict diet, watching everything and not feeling better. Well, one thing that happens is keep in mind, let's just say that you have a gut imbalance and you take some foods away because you do food intolerance testing and then you start removing more and more foods from your diet. Let's remember mother nature brought these foods in because these foods are here to serve us. Now I'm not saying if you have celiac to eat gluten, what I'm saying is if you have a wheat intolerance or a dairy intolerance, it's not so simple as taking the food away. You have to work on the thinking stressed brain, work on the emotional body, and yes, take the food away while you're doing that and maybe add some Ayurvedic herbals and different things, trifala, teas, things that help repair your digestive system. And then, then when you've worked on that, reintroduce the food later. What I find is so many people take the foods away are down to those few foods, have gotten so stressed about eating. You know, there's a condition orthorexia, yes. a, fear, yes. a fear of eating. Yeah. They've gotten this, this fear of even eating food. And then the first brain goes into haywire and they're never gonna get better in that state. And that is not the way to approach improving your gut function which unfortunately somehow, I don't know if it's because, you know, God bless people are researching, they're on the internet, they're learning from Dr. Google and they're doing things on their own. And I think you have to have a provider to watch you because if you start entering that, and I see this over and over with people that are now not failing the Western doctors, they're failing the functional medicine doctors and coming to me because uh-huh. they've taken all these things away. They have their bags of supplements and they walk in and they say, why am I not better? I've spent thousands upon thousands of dollars on testing and food elimination and do I said, has anyone talked to you about your stress? Has anyone even gone into that with you? And I'm not going to sit and do a food intolerance test. When you walk in the door, I'm going to evaluate your stress system. I'm going to evaluate whether or not you are viewing the world in the right way. What are your patterns? What is your emotional body doing? That is where we need to start. And yes, that takes time. That is the hard work. That's the hard work, but that's the work. Once you do it, oh my goodness, everything else becomes better. Your microbiome improves, your response to supplements, your response to medications improves, your response to your dietary changes improves. You become a better meditator. You become just stronger over the course of time as you practice those techniques. And then you say, wait a second. Oh my goodness. Had I done that 20 years ago, can you imagine how you'd be now? And all I can say is that it's never too late, though it's important to start taking this journey the right way. And to not ignore, not to think I could just take a supplement or just change my diet to fix myself. I wish it were that easy. I really wish. <laughs> and that's why, you know, I, when I wrote Mysterious Mind, that book, The Mysterious Mind, the reason I wrote the book was because I didn't have, you know, the glorious hour to spend with every patient. So what I would say is, okay, I'll tell you a little bit about the story. 
So you need to do some digging. You need to figure out how you've gotten bots unbalanced. You've got to dig into what you're eating because there's so many foods in the Western diet that we're working against, as you can imagine, as you know, drinking cold liquids, right? With your meals. Oh my God, big no-no. Everyone was doing that, drinking cold drinks in February in Chicago when they go out to eat and then having a glass of wine with their meals. How are you ever going to get to bed at night? (laughs) There's so many, so many wrongs in that, you know? And I was like, so part of it was like, read that to understand the Ayurvedic diet, but then let's start talking about your mind work when I'm in clinic with you. And it was just overwhelming the amount of things that were really important to, to improve, to get them feeling better. So there's, there's so much within the first, second and third brain, but I think that order to me makes sense at least right now. And so I'm using, I have like 27 videos, people watch the videos and then we do the coaching calls in between the videos and that's how I present it. Lovely. And I must ask you this because you mentioned it briefly, but I was going to ask you that before you spoke about it, which is what are your thoughts on gluten? Because it's so divided on one hand, you have great Ayurvedic practitioners talking about how wheat is not the problem at all. It's the agni that's missing in people. And then, of course, the entire functional space is completely anti-gluten. So uh, do you feel it's the food that has to be removed temporarily while other work is done and then some people can reintroduce it or is it um, nothing at all? Yeah. It's fascinating, isn't it? So I started doing, my daughter was getting headaches when she was five years old. She's 19 now and fasting. I was in a headache clinic, right? Migraine clinic. And I'm getting calls from a school nurse about my daughter having headaches at school. I mean, what a juxtaposition to be in and uh, how this journey began with the food intolerance testing was at that time, about 15 years ago, I started looking at food intolerance tests and said, and this is, you know, this is before you could find gluten-free foods and dairy-free items at the grocery store. Okay. 15 years ago. And, um, I started looking at these tests and my daughter's test results. Oh my goodness. She was four plus for dairy, four plus for gluten, four plus for eggs. What was I feeding her eggs, gluten, and dairy all day, every day. And I thought, Oh goodness, she's four plus. I showed it to a pediatrician Johns Hopkins trained, brilliant, wonderful pediatrician who said, this is nonsense don't follow this. This is nonsense. There's no way all of those foods are healthy. There is no way. If you take away dairy, she's going to have bone fractures. If you take away the wheat, wheat is what gives you all the protein and the fiber. You can't do that. So here I was thinking, oh my goodness, what do I do? So I I was, I went AMA against medical advice and I decided to just do this and follow the integrative approach yet. Ha ha. Beautiful thing is I had Ayurveda in my back pocket. I had already read some Ayurveda in my training early years to help myself. And Ayurveda was never about take something away forever. It was sometimes things can activate your doshic imbalance and to be mindful of the food at that moment of time based on your state. And this is so important. Again, unless you have a genetic issue like celiac disease, Remember the food intolerance test results are based on your energy body at that moment in time. Right. Nothing is forever, right? Nothing is forever. So like you said, with my daughter, what did I need to do? Yes, I did remove the foods at that time. I also gave her some probiotics. I gave her some different herbals, Ayurvedic herbals, strengthened her Agni. Like you said, her digestive fire worked on her mind. She was a little stressed at that time. Did a little reverse nostril breathing with her every day. 
gave her some essential oils when she was in pain to learn how to breathe, learn how to receive the pain, to know the pain isn't there as a danger signal. It's there to guide you because something was not aligned, taught her about the gut and the brain early on at age five and mindful eating, did a lot of things with her at that time. Headaches went away. She's 19 and she's pain-free. Okay. They were happening every week. Yeah. They went away within two months. So what's interesting is I didn't need to listen to the doctor. I knew there was something with Ayurveda that was right. And there was something with functional medicine that was correct. Though what was interesting at that time, there wasn't really guidance on how long you eliminate the foods. So what did I do? Trusted my gut, like I try to do. And I just said, let's see, she's feeling better. At a certain point, maybe six months into it, I started introducing the foods back in to see how was she feeling. And now to this day, we're cautious. Of course, um, you know, you see books out there that go no wheat and then books that say eat wheat, right? Dr. Dulliard, right? Yeah. And so who I love dearly. And I love the conversation between Dr. Duyard and Dr. Perlmutter. <laughs> everyone should listen to that because it's 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 a fascinating conversation. And I just think everyone here, just listen and trust your intuition. But no, nothing should be taken away forever unless you really have to work on yourself, work on yourself, strengthen yourself so you can reintroduce things in and eat the right quality, please, of wheat. Don't eat processed wheat, eat complex carbohydrates, whole grain, sourdough bread, or or I love live grain, you know, um, that kind of sprouted grain bread. If you're going to have it with ghee, oh my Mm. goodness. Mm, that's my I'm favorite coming thing. home you better serve me this try <laughs> i will i will uh, i know we are Absolutely. almost out of time but um i i will encourage our listeners to get your book and i'm going to get your book the mysterious mind but could you wrap all of this up for us if someone's actually really struggling with sleep and uh, how might they approach it with this approach and um, one other thing I wanted to tell you when you were talking about mindset and thought patterns that don't serve you, a lot of times it's also people who've given themselves labels of illness and then they it's just become who they are and they don't believe that they can change. They don't believe, they believe neuropathy is part of them. They believe IBS is part of them. And that doesn't serve them at all. So I love your approach. I hope people like that do pick up your book and actually change and start with those thought patterns. But um, let's just wrap it up with some insomnia and maybe nighttime routine, whatever you would suggest to help people. And I will say one thing. Yeah, I'll say one thing just because the book was written. I just want to make it clear for the listeners. The book was written about five years ago before I put in a lot of the mind work. So the book is fabulous in terms of giving us guidance with the Ayurvedic doshic state. It's a little bit more focused with migraines. So it's great for those that are suffering with pain or curious about how to bring in Ayurveda with that. Go to, if you want more updated NLP um, on my website, troopdigokanimd.com, click on learn more. You can watch a free masterclass. It's completely free. It's a 45 minute masterclass that gives updated information that the book doesn't cover. So it's kind of a nice bridge that goes more into NLP and all of that. So just wanted to share that. So really um, what I would say to wrap up is most important thing to start with is accepting the fact that you don't become one with your pain body. You don't become one with your condition. Realize the condition or the symptoms are there to serve you to become a higher version of yourself. Use that to really even bring yourself into an awareness that there is something within you that hasn't been quite understood 
and quite honestly, allowing yourself to go on the outside of the pain body and observing why it's coming. Why is the insomnia coming? And to start to observe your patterns. And you can do that simply by just observing when things happen, what has been your state? Have you gotten two vats and pizza and what triggered that? So starting with observation is a key, key principle. And then second thing is being at cause and not saying, why did this happen to me? But why did this happen for me? Incredibly important way of thinking. And then as you start to do that, start aligning yourself with the day and the night. Look at when there's a full moon. Look at when the sun is setting. What are you doing? What are your patterns of behavior? Are you winding down? Or are you starting to rev up? Are you waking up at the same time every morning? Or are you sleeping in certain days? Are you having lunch at your biggest meal? These things sound simple. They're powerful when you take them into action. And then that question we talked about before, what are you resisting? What do you resist the most? That's the want to spend some time working on and start to understand that is probably the thing that's holding you back. And if that's holding you back, you're never going to move past whatever it is you're struggling with. And just honor the system. It's 5,000 years old. Ayurveda is not going anywhere. It's, I believe, the first system of healing known to mankind. It's a beautiful wisdom of getting back into connection with self. So take the time to explore and understand that. When you do, it's powerful. Like we talked about earlier, magic happens. So I encourage everyone just to know this information is there for them. It's been there for thousands of years. And now Western data is supporting Eastern medicine. And that's what's beautiful is the Western medicine is now coming around to support this. So I'm just happy to be a part of this program with you. And hopefully all the listeners will take your information and learn from you because so wise and um, really can move this information forward. And just to complete our show, Dr. Gokani, we've got a show mantra. So I'd like you to complete it for us. If sleep is the new medicine, then how would you complete it? Oh, if sleep is the new medicine, if sleep is the new medicine, then our entire being can shift into bliss. I love it. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to have spoken with you today. And really, the time just flew by. And I will be left with this phrase of the cosmic diva for sure. (laughs) You're so sweet. Thank you. And thank you to all of the listeners for being a part of this and listening to our conversation. I look forward to speaking again soon. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the show today. Just a reminder that this podcast is for information purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified health professional. This information is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or the professional advice or services. If you are looking for personal help on your health journey, do seek out a qualified professional. Please do make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with a qualified healthcare professional. It is in no way intended as medical advice or a treatment or cure for any condition be sure to always directly work with a qualified practitioner before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle that may feel out of your realm of comfort or understanding if you are looking for an allied functional medicine practitioner do seek out more information on www.phytothrive.com 
It is important that you have someone who is qualified and understands your health personally in order to provide adequate care especially when it comes to chronic health condition. Be sure to subscribe to the Sleep Whisperer podcast on your favorite podcast app to get each episode as soon as it launches.